0: Well, hey there, EOC. It's Matt here. Unfortunately, Brody isn't with me, so it's just me and Harold. You okay, Harold? Yeah, yeah I'm not okay either. I miss Brody too. Uh, his message said to me, he sent me a text message about this last night. He said, I've gotten sick this week, so I won't be in tomorrow. Now, my problem here is that he didn't actually tell me what he's sick of, so I'm suspecting that it might be of me. So here's what we're going to do. Um, For those of you who have time, no expectation to join in, cancel any time. I want you to send me uh, a message that I can forward on to Brody. It can be a line, two lines, it can be a paragraph, it can be a poem if you really want it to be. Just send it to matt.smith at afes.org.au. I want you to send him a get well message, a get well soon message. But I want you to make it so that you can make him feel as guilty as possible for not being here to help me do this thing because uh, it's a lot harder without him. So there's my challenge to you, afes.org.au. if you've got the time, make him a get well soon message but make him feel as guilty as possible. Um, what we're going to do today then is we're going to do the same two things we do every week. and We're going to look at leading the group and then we're going to shift to teaching the text. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray Um, And then we'll jump straight into leading the group. And then what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to patch Keely in on the phone and she and I are going to chat about the text in the second section of the podcast. Uh, So how about I pray? Um, Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for bringing us all here in the weird cyberspace together so that we can learn how to lead uh, people and teach your word to them. I pray now that you'll give us concentration and that this time will be helpful for all of us as we seek to serve you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Excellent. So leading the group, um, let's start with a recap and then I'm going to shift and we're going to start talking about how we can handle contributions um, as people offer answers in our Bible studies today. So with the recap, I have very little to say. Um, It's just been a real joy and privilege actually watching uh, those groups that I'm in uh, and the leaders who are leading them uh, take on board the advice uh, and, and teaching we've been giving in the podcast. Uh, it's been fantastic to see you all really trying to work out how to land the plane. Something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and think about how you can take that, that big idea, the main idea and, and the big question for the study uh, and and get the people in the group to understand it and grapple with it and, and let it sink in their hearts. Now I know that a whole bunch of you have had uh, various experiences and, and various rates of success in doing this. Um, And so really all I want to say to you um, is just keep going. Uh, One of the things about Bible study leading, as with any skill really, is that it takes time. Uh, And so you can have all the theory in the world, uh, but no matter how clever you are, um, it will take time to put into practice, uh, because in a large degree it depends on experience. And so I think just hold in there, keep trying to, to do the main things we've been telling you about. Be very clear about what's in the study. Uh, know where you're heading uh, and then take charge to see that you get there. Um, otherwise, just keep chipping away. Learn from your mistakes. Um, this is all part of learning. Uh, what I will say is I've just been encouraged. I think you're all on a really good trajectory um, and you're doing really well. Uh, because Brodie isn't here, um, I've been talking to a few of you and you've mentioned um, some struggles with crowd management. Um, some of you have really, really big groups. So One of the groups on North Sydney campus this week has split which is a really exciting thing uh, because that's a sign of a whole bunch of sign-ups and a whole bunch of evangelistic contacts that we're making. So we can praise God for that. But yeah, they've got big issues. Other people have small issues, Uh, namely their groups are quite small and they're trying to work out how to stimulate discussion amongst two or three people, uh, which is a lot harder. Um, Group theory says that the optimum size is six to eight people. And so there are some groups in that sweet spot. And I think you'll find um, that that is quite a, a manageable kind of group size and very easy to stimulate discussion without people getting lost but if you kind of go one way or the other it gets hard Um, but because I want Brody around um, because he'll have some insight and and some experience in this as well we're going to defer that discussion until next week and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk just briefly about handling contributions Um, wow look at this we're not even five minutes in and we're already up to actually teaching some stuff maybe I should get rid of Brody more often so handling contributions. Last week we talked about generating discussion and if you recall I took you through um, a number of different questions you could ask. The, 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 the aim of the game is never to answer, uh, always keep the ball moving. If you can imagine uh, the conversation um, as a ball, you never want it to stop and you certainly want it to um, never go through you all the time. And so one of the ways that we taught you to do things is to be quiet. Another way is to ask more questions. In other words, deflect the discussion and bounce it back uh, into the group. And so just by way of reminder, we looked at different types of questions. You could extend by asking, can you add to that? You can clarify by asking, what do you mean by that? You can justify and ask, what reason do you have for that? You can redirect, hey guys, what do you think of such and such's um, contribution? And then you can finally reflect and say, hang on, I think what you're saying is this, is this right? And then you can invite them to add more flesh to the bones. Um, But one of the things you'll realise as you get better at generating discussion is that sometimes the discussion you get is not the discussion that you want. Um, Generating discussion will generate contributions uh, and not all contributions are wanted. Um, In fact, not all contributions are equal. And you would have already figured this out by now that there will be certain people in your groups that are sharper than others. Um, certain people in your groups that are, are much more grounded biblically than others. Uh, and so sometimes you'll, you'll know who, when they open their mouth, whether it's going to be uh, a really helpful contribution or you've just got a big question mark, and going, all right, we'll see how this one goes. Um, so that's just something to be aware of. Uh, not every contribution is equal. Uh, But the first thing I want to say straight up is to remember that every contribution is to be valued. Now I'm getting some of this material out of the growth groups book I mentioned last week. uh, And they really helpfully point out um, that every input to the discussion is valuable both to the individual because it required thought and and to the group because they have to think in order to respond. And so their point is to actually take every contribution and value it. Show genuine interest. Listen. Don't dismiss it in your mind and think about the next question. Don't even dismiss it in your mind and think about how you can respond to it. Um, think about how you can encourage and thank them for offering things. So your body language should indicate interest. It shouldn't be removed or or um, uh, just disinterested. Uh, you can nod along, you can say thank you, whatever it is. But just be aware of not just shutting contributions down. However, like I said, um, Not all contributions are equal and so we have to handle them differently. And so I want to address now two types of contributions. The first is contributions that are on-topic and then the second is contributions that are off-topic. And we'll think about how we can deal with each one of those in turn. So let's first think about contributions that are on-topic. This is the ideal kind of contribution because it means they're actually paying attention and they're engaged in the study. And I think there are actually two types within this type of on-topic contributions. Uh, There are the wrong contributions or inadequate contributions, the ones that don't quite add up or are kind of missing the mark. And then there are the contributions that are actually correct, um, the ones that are helpful um, in that way. So let's have a think about it. Um, Wrong contributions. Now, this will happen. Uh, In fact, the more it happens in your group, the more of a positive sign it will be. Um, because what it means is you're getting a whole bunch of people in who, who haven't dealt with the scriptures much, uh, whether because they've never had anything to do with it, whether because they've been poorly taught in their churches, um, or they just haven't been uh, skilled enough to, to read the scriptures yet and developed that. Uh, but it's a positive sign because it means that we're getting people in to whom we can make and mature disciples, which is exactly the ESC's mission statement, which I think is fantastic. But nonetheless, even that's a good sign, and the more um, wrong on-topic contributions we have, um, the more we need to be on our toes as leaders to figure out how to respond to them. And so I want to suggest that there are probably three different ways you can respond to a contribution that is either flat out wrong, um, or just doesn't necessarily contribute to what's going on. Um, The first is to ignore it. Now, that might seem counterintuitive, but really, Sometimes you can just let things go by to the Keeper. Um, They're not necessary to correct because they're so small um, or because they're not central to the topic at hand that you're trying to establish. And sometimes by trying to respond to every little error and every little misconception using the wrong word or the wrong nuance of a particular answer um, it's just not worth chasing down. Because if you do it you actually end up creating a culture that stifles discussion Uh, that's negative and not inviting now that doesn't mean that therefore for the sake of making a warm inclusive environment you never address error but it is a call to discern whether or not it's worth the fight Um, so that's the first way to respond ignore the second way is to ask the group um, which i think is probably the most helpful way of doing things because then the group decides um, and deliberates rather than just you as the leader Uh, and what that does is it it keeps things level and it doesn't kind of degrade into a hierarchy where you're the expert and everyone else just has to listen to what you have to say. And so if somebody offers a, 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 a contribution that is, is unhelpful or wrong, um, I'm trying to think of an example from the week just gone. Um, yeah, where somebody said, um, they were talking about God's rest in Hebrews 4, and they suggested that heaven... Um, didn't exist until Jesus came along and so the rest in Hebrews 3 and 4 was the promised land literally and there wasn't anything after that but it wasn't until Jesus that heaven existed and then people would go. Um, I think in in the context of the study that we are in uh, we let that slide and I think that was quite appropriate in the context um, because we were still communicating the fact that heaven exists now and the only way to enter that rest is to have faith in Jesus uh, and we, we figured that we could probably just catch that in the future. But another way you might deal with it is to ask the group. Uh, and so you might actually turn to people and say, such and such has just said this idea that you know the, the rest was only physical, heaven didn't exist at that point. What do you guys think? Uh, and this is a great way of relying on mature Christians in your group, being able to voice their opinions um, and correct the, the person who said the wrong thing without you doing it yourself. Um, which is fantastic so so don't forget that you've got allies in your group to do that so you can ignore the contribution you can ask the group what they think on the contribution um, or thirdly you can challenge the person um, and you can challenge them either directly or indirectly so directly you can say actually that's wrong for this reason um, or you can challenge them indirectly which I, I prefer if you're skilled enough to do this um, by asking them a question. Oh, so just to clarify, you think this. All right, so how does that match with this part of the Bible? Or have you thought about what the implications of that position might be for this doctrine? Um, so, for example, with the, um, the guy who was saying heaven didn't exist beforehand, you could ask, well, hang on a minute. Does that mean that everybody who died before Jesus um, never got to heaven? Um, and then he might go, actually, no, that can't be right. Um, or then you could follow up and say, well, what about Abraham and, and David and those people who were told in the New Testament um, actually did receive the, the promise? Uh, and so you can kind of challenge in that way as well, in a way that's learning. So we're still on wrong answers for on-topic contributions. You can ignore, you can defer to the group, or you can challenge. Um, let's look at right contributions. And in some ways, these are actually harder to deal with than wrong ones. I don't know how many times I have spent like hours writing a Bible study and trying to make like the tension and the flow of the questions just work out brilliantly. So everyone's just tugged along and they're getting more and more interested and more and more frustrated that they can't figure out exactly what's going on in the study and then it builds over the course of 30, 40, 50 minutes of discussion and people are tense and people are getting involved and now they're invested. And then there's that one moment right at the end of the Bible study where all of a sudden the light bulb goes on and everyone gets it and the tension just diffuses and there's just this satisfaction in the room. Can't tell you how many times I've tried to do a Bible study like that and within the first minute somebody virtually says my summary sentence for the entire study, right? That is seriously the most annoying thing in the world. And when I was much younger, it would derail my study because all of a sudden, all of the content that I had put together to kind of lead them towards the end was useless. And now the group had the final answer within the first five minutes and I didn't know where to take the discussion. Um, So how do you deal with somebody who, straight out of the gate, pinpoints exactly the issue at hand that you're trying to get to in your study? the, the answer is to ignore them. Now, don't let them or the group know that they are right. Um, or if you do let them know they're right, don't tell them the importance of their contribution. Now, this is, this is not deceptive. This is just um, a, a means of, of diverting a possible shortcut that prevents the whole of the group going through the process to get to the final answer. Because at that moment, in the first five minutes, it's only that one person who said it that is right. Uh, and sometimes they might not even know that they're right. It's a guess. Other times they're very perceptive and they will. But the rest of the group doesn't know. And if you remember, that the purpose of a Bible study is to get all of the group on board and on the same page, having convinced them from Scripture. And so some things that you might want to do in response... Um, Are just to kind of go yeah good contribution or yep thanks for that or you might depending on the appropriateness of it um, just kind of nod or even ignore it and just let the the rest of the conversation go and let other people add um, contributions and then once you get those contributions you can build the study before you return to that answer in 30 minutes or so so those are ways that you can deal with on-topic contributions let's talk about off-topic contributions Uh, These are the types of contributions that have nothing to do with the Bible study um, and can often derail a study and then all of a sudden 20 minutes later you're like, oh wow, yeah, we were supposed to be doing this, but all of a sudden now we're talking about whether animals go to heaven or something ridiculous like that, right? They don't, by the way, just in case you were wondering. Um, So some things to be aware of. Um, One of the things that will help you identify whether it's a tangent um, is for yourself to be clear on what it is you're trying to do with the study. So again, I'm just going to keep coming back to this one annoying point. Know the overview box. Know what the passage is about, why it was written. Know the main point of the study and the big question of the study. Because if you know exactly what you're trying to achieve, then you'll know whether the, the tangent or the question or, or the statement is going to contribute to you getting there or take away from you getting there. You um, You need clarity. Um, Now, once you have that clarity, you've actually got options, because there are some times where you might choose to let the tangent uh, run its course and divert the group for five minutes, and there'll be other times where you don't. So for example, if it's a particularly pastoral issue, uh, you may want to let the tangent run so that the person who's genuinely raised the question um, gets satisfaction or closure on what it is they're trying to work out. Um, Other times I've let the tangents go because it just builds the the group dynamic. And so it might be completely unrelated. It might just be hilarious and fun or whatever it is. It might not even be related to the Bible or theology, but I've let it happen so that they can actually build rapport with one another and actually enjoy each other's company. So those are some reasons why you'd let it go. Now, other times you wouldn't. Um, The obvious one is time. You just don't have time to do it. Uh, But the second is it's unhelpful. It's unhelpful because it'll either distract Um, People from the goal. Uh, It's unhelpful because it will stop you from getting to the goal. Or it's unhelpful pastorally because it'll actually do damage to people. And so if you've got some really clever, really thoughtful people in your group who want to ask about assurance and whether or not the elect of God can truly fall away. uh, We had that a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, Appropriate question. um, Not helpful at that point. You don't want to sink into a discussion of predestination in a week one Bible study at the beginning of the study because of the amount of information you'd need to actually even have a proper conversation about that. It'll take you half an hour and by then you haven't achieved what you're trying to do. So again, clarity is going to help you know whether you let the tangents play out or not. Um, the other thing that I've noticed too, just by, by way of mention before we shift gears into the teaching the text section, uh, is that a lot of people Uh, over the last couple of weeks, have been answering the questions of the Bible study from their own theological knowledge. Um, Quite a few, actually. I really want you to be aware of this. Um, Listen out for it, because they will say things that are probably true, but may not at all be apparent in the text. And so you need to, as Bible study leaders, keep working hard at directing them back to the passage. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you say, what verse did you get that from, Um, prove it. Um, But just be aware that that people's contributions uh, may actually appear to be on topic but are off topic because they're drawing on their general knowledge, um, which may or may not be true, rather than the passage. And when that happens, what what, what tends to happen is that your your knowledge becomes general uh, and generic and lacks specificness um, or detail. And one of the values of actually keeping people in the passage is that you see a much more rich... Uh, and carefully contoured uh, understanding of scripture. So that's something to be thinking about uh, as you handle contributions. Um, All of them can be responded to in various different ways and you as the leader have to use your wisdom, which you'll get through experience and trial and error, to figure out how to handle that without shutting down the conversation. Cool. So there's handling contributions, leading the group. We're going to shift gears now. We're going to go into teaching the text. Uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to let you pause the podcast, get your Bibles out, uh, read today's passage, which is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, all the way through to chapter 5, verse 10. It's a short passage this week as compared to last week. Uh, And then give yourself a moment to fill out the overview box or do those four questions. What is the passage about? Why was the passage written? Uh, And then for the study, what is the main idea and the big question? And while you do that, I'm going to patch in Keeley and we're going to have a chat about how she and Lorenzo found writing the study this week. Cool, so by now you should have done all of that. Um, and I've managed to call Keeley. Say hello Keeley. Hello. <laughs> cool. So this is like genuine radio interview style. Somebody's called in and so you've got the, the difference in audio voices and stuff. Um, so I haven't um, like blunted Kili and made her sound weird. That's just what she sounds like normally on the phone. So, um, this is <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, she was worried earlier that I'd have Harold on hand, and I do. Um, but I don't think that I'm going to have too much need to to use him. Um, I'm just looking at the Bible study she's put together, and I think it's quite good. Um, the reason I've got her on the phone, um, not only is it because Brody is away, but because uh, both her and Lorenza had some difficulties uh, putting the study together Um, and I think rightly so. There's a few confusing things in today's passage Uh, and so I wanted to start just by asking you, Keely, um, tell me about the passage. What did you find hard about it in terms of actually trying to package it into a Bible study?
1: Mm Yeah, I think it was um, probably hard mostly because, um, well, so basically um, me and Lauren are sort of um, we wrote down some thoughts and I like, sort of filled in the box and then we, um, came and met together and sort of compared notes. Um, and then I think sort of like our, what we, uh, our main thought was probably, um, just not understanding the passage quite as well as we could have. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we originally, when we looked at it, we sort of, um, really focused in on, uh, sort of the superiority of Jesus and, um, you know, how uh, it compares uh, the high priest with him. Um, and so we sort of, like, had focused the whole um, passage or Bible study on that, and then so that's sort of um, chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. And then we've sort of been like, oh wait, but there's like verse 14 to 16, and then there's verse 7 to 10 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sort of um, challenging trying to fit those in, and then sort of, I guess, feedback with with Matt, like realising, um,
0: that that sort
1: of wasn't the main focus of the passage um, yeah, 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 so I guess, yeah, it was and, uh, in
0: some ways just misunderstanding Yeah, and, and looking at the passage I can sort of understand how you got yourself into that hole um, mm. because um, there, there are really the three distinct blocks in the passage um, verses 14 to 16 in chapter 4 and then you've got the, the priest comparison thing in chapter 5, 1 to 6 and then this weird thing where it just suddenly goes back to Jesus and the days of his flesh. Um, mm. and, and given that the whole of the book of Hebrews is trying to convince us that Jesus is the best and superior to everything, I can also understand why you went into that space as well. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And as you continue to read, guys, you, you'll notice that, like especially once you get into chapter 7 and then chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, like all of it is just slamming the old covenant priesthood. And so very much the main point there is that Jesus is superior. Um, but one of the things that seems to have happened is you, you Keely, and, and Lorenzo, you've kind of gone in almost with an overhang of the previous section of Hebrews, um, where it's Jesus is superior the whole way through, and, and assumed the same thing is going on here. Is yeah. that is that fair? Am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah, no, no,
1: that sounds right, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, we sort of, um, yeah, I guess didn't really... Uh, see the passage in the whole
0: context of the book I think Yeah and I, I think the way that you've put that is brilliant Like seeing the passage in the whole context of the book um, And we always need to do this Irrespective of which passage it is that we're teaching Whether it's Bible study, preaching, whatever it is But but this particular passage Has a few pitfalls That the others don't um, And the first one is in chapter 14, 14 to 16 Those three verses um, They're not just the beginning of um, this week's Bible study passage. They're actually what you call a bridge section. Uh, they, they're a hinge. They join what's come before with what's come afterwards. It's sort of like a transition or a segue. Uh, and so one of the things that was helpful um, for Keir and Lorenzo to think through is that actually this, this transition section means that it's sort of functioning as a conclusion as well as an introduction. Um, and that changes the way that we approach things. Now. That's just one annoying thing, and if that was all there was, that would be really hard for the Bible study. But then you go further down, and you look at chapter 5, verse 11, which is the beginning of next week's study, um, and you see there that the author says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. So he calls these listeners stupid. Um, and then what he does is he spends a whole chapter telling them about not um, being careful not to fall away. And so he doesn't actually pick up, what he's saying at the end of chapter five, verse ten, until the beginning of chapter seven, and so his argument is interrupted by a pastoral need, and so you've kind of got this this kind of statement in today's passage, which Kelly and Lawrence have been dealing with, um, that doesn't really find its payoff until two weeks from now, um, and so that's just something to be aware of as you approach the text. And so what that means then is the application. Or the landing point is not Jesus' superiority as a high priest, um, but Jesus is a high priest, which sounds really mundane, yeah. Um, So my question to you, Keel, is how did like having reached that point and understood that? How did you go about applying this? Mm, Yeah, I think
1: um, yeah, I think from the start, me and Lorenzo, we sort of. saw verse 16 and really liked it. Um, like the whole about um, approaching God's throne of grace with confidence. Um, and so like that sort of goes on, you know, because we have a great high priest, we can have that confidence. And so I think, um, yeah, that just really worked well as an application. Like sort of um, including that, you know, Jesus, what we've learned is that Jesus is our great high priest. And because of that, we can like have this confidence and assurance mm. Um. Yeah, sort of the
0: landing point we chose. Yeah, which is really ironic because it's at the beginning of the passage, right? Um, But Mm -mm. totally appropriate. So even just looking at the way that the passage unfolds, the 14 to 16, it really is, what does it begin with? We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. uh, And later on, it is him that we can draw with confidence to. And then chapter 5, verse 1 begins with a 4. And whenever you see a four there usually in in the scriptures uh it 's an explanation it 's giving a reason for what 's just come and I would actually argue that chapter five one through to the end of of verse ten is a a extended explanation as to why Jesus is our high priest and why we can draw near to him uh, and so I think you 've nailed it when you talked about um, it's it 's about confidence right it 's about assurance that Jesus functions as our high priest um, And then what that means is that verses 1 to 10 in chapter 5 are somehow explaining to us why we can be confident that that is the case. Um, So yeah, having a look at the passage then, um, Keely, because I'm looking at your leader's notes too, and they're really helpful. Um, Be encouraged. Um, What were some of the reasons why we could be confident? Uh,
1: Some of the reasons we couldn't
0: be confident? Some of the reasons we could be confident, sorry. Oh,
1: sorry. (laughs) Um. um yeah sort of uh seeing from like verse 14 to 16 like it talks about uh, how um you know because jesus is alive we can uh have this faith that we profess
0: um sorry i'm using the niv hope that's okay oh um, i don't know I, don't, I should probably just hang up on you right now and finish the podcast yeah, by myself but, um yeah. yeah go for it just go for it
1: Um, talks about Jesus being able to empathise with us and um, yeah, that being a real comfort, like the fact that Jesus can
0: understand us um, I think was a really important point as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Very cool. And as I look at the passage, um, I, I pulled up my old college notes um, just to kind of get myself into the groove. Um, and I think, Keely, you've identified this without needing you know, more college, which is great. Um, Under (laughs) your third question, you know, what are the similarities between Jesus and the high priests? Um, I might reword that slightly to say, how is Jesus like other high priests? But look, the the question is the same. Um, You've come up with three things there. uh, And they're the three things that my more College lecturer who studied this in the Greek for years and years came up with as well. Um, One of them is his appointment. Um, The other is his ability to sympathize. Uh, and then the third is his function, in terms of he's able to offer sacrifice. Um, yeah. And the thing, the thing that I wanted to draw your attention to, um, your plural, all of you guys, is as you see that unfold in chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, so his function, to provide atonement, his ability to sympathise, verses 2 to 3, and then verses 4, his appointment. So he doesn't, he doesn't choose to do that. He doesn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a priest. Somebody tells him he will be. Um, Those are the the three qualifications for a high priest. Uh, And then what the rest of the passage does from verse 5 to verse 10 is go on and show you how Jesus fulfills all three of those qualifications. It just does it in the reverse order. So it starts with appointment in verse 5. God appoints him. um, And then it talks about his ability to sympathize in verses 7 and 8. Uh, And then his function as somebody who can bring about salvation and atonement for sin in verses 9 and 10. So it's actually a really tightly structured piece of scripture, which is really cool to read. Yeah. Um, Look, and so with that in mind, um, I know that we didn't start with the box. I think, but Malaji, because I wanted to tackle it from the the ground up, because I thought that would be useful for us all to think about the passage. Um, Let's go back up to the box. Um, I've slightly reworded your what is the passage about. I've just taken out the superior language. Um, yeah, and I've, been, and I've been, yeah, yeah, and I've been really boring. I've just said Jesus fulfills the qualifications to be our high priest. Um, yeah. It sounds mundane, but there you go. Um, and then why was the passage written? Um, I've again changed it slightly. What you wrote, Keely, there is to show that Jesus is the superior and perfect high priest who brings eternal salvation. Um, and I want to say that that's almost a what of the passage, like to show that. Why why yeah. was the passage written? You need a motive. And usually that has a pastoral motive. And so I've shifted yeah. it slightly and I've said, the passage was written to give us confidence to draw near to Jesus as our high priest. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. we have a guarantee that he's qualified and that gives us confidence, therefore, to draw near to him. Um, and as you go through the rest of the book of Hebrews, you'll find that there are more reasons than he's Bare qualifications to give us confidence but that's where we're starting in chapter 5 here Um, and then I haven't touched your main point or your big question because I think you're spot on Uh, the main point of the study we can have assurance and draw near to Jesus because he is our great high priest Um, and then the big question uh, which I think is the right one is how can we draw near to Jesus Um, and that's a nice open-ended question as well because it can get us thinking about how we might do that um, before we wrap up, Keely, have you got any ideas as to how that might be the case? How would we draw near to Jesus?
1: Um, yeah, I guess for me the first thing that comes to mind is um, yeah, really uh, rooting ourselves in the Word, or um, yeah, reading His Word, and like as we've been uh, learning about it, like listening to uh, what Jesus has to say to us. Um, mm. Yeah, because uh, the Word tells us. Um, you know, how we should live, and um, as well as, like, showing us um, Jesus's, like, characteristics, and um, so, yeah, this passage um, really gives us the confidence that we can do this, and, um, yeah, that we are drawn into Jesus because of what he's
0: done, I think. Mm. Um, and I would add to that too, not just um, approaching him in, in the word, but responding to him in prayer as well. Um, mm, yep. a- as, as a high priest, as a mediator, he is the one that, that enables us to go to God. Now we pray to God the Father, that's how Jesus himself teaches us to pray. But there's something really significant, I think, in verse 16 where it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, uh, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I really see this playing out in two ways. One of them is when we've sinned and we need forgiveness. Um, We know that because Jesus is qualified to deal with our sin, um, as we saw at the end of the passage, uh, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Um, We have confidence to come to him when we sin, knowing that he will forgive. Uh, So that's a big one. Um, So confession in prayer. But I also want to draw attention to the, the idea of finding grace to help in time of need. Um... And that could mean a lot of things. It's quite a general statement. Uh, But as I look at it, what I think is that um, it's about temptation, right? So the previous verse, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are um, and is yet without sin. And you see the same idea at the end of chapter two. And I think really what it's saying is when we're tempted um, to disobey, when we're pulled away by sin, who do we run to? Where well, we run to Jesus in prayer and we ask him for help in our time of need. Uh, and we can have confidence that he who's been through it understands it but has overcome it can help us in that moment. Um, so that's my last thought as well for that. Um, I reckon we'll wrap it up. We're at time. Thanks so much for your help, Keely. Um, that's All, right. all good. And, and thank you for being willing to come on and, and talk about where you struggled and what you found harder. It's going to be really edifying for the rest of us. Um, Thank you for the work you've done for the study. That's all
1: right. Thank
0: you. Cool. Well, see, hopefully that was helpful. Um, Happy prepping. How about I pray for us and then we will take our leave. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you do give us Jesus, a qualified high priest, one who can sympathise with us and give us grace in our time of need. I pray that we as leaders will be convicted to have confidence uh, to draw near to him when we need him. Uh, In fact, to draw near to him at all times because we always need him. And I pray that you'll give us good clarity um, as we bring this teaching to bear and help others discover it for themselves in the scripture this coming week. In his name we pray. Amen.